Welcome to this week's presentation from Bethesda, a church community where anyone can belong. We hope that the following presentation encourages you in your faith journey. Thanks for listening. As you may know, we've been going through a series, the door series, these past few weeks. And Pastor Bruce has talked about the door of courage, the door of risk. And he's challenged us and encouraged us to take that step out, trusting that God is on the other side of that door. We've been reminded how many doors we walk through each and every day, whether figurative doors or literal doors we walk through. Um, it's something that we're constantly doing. Doors open up, doors close. God opens some doors for us. He closes some for us. And we've been looking at five principles. Um, and as we, as we go through this door series, and I just want to remind um, us of them again as we begin this morning. And the first one is that every door is a decision point. Um, often in the Bible, we'll see doors as a metaphor for decisions uh, that we make. The second one is, my future will be shaped by the doors I open and the doors that I walk past. And the difficult part here, isn't it, is knowing which door um, to walk through and which door to walk past. Thirdly, we're reminded that a door may be an opportunity from God. Um, There could be an opportunity behind that door, and when we walk through, we may face opposition and think, well, this cannot be from God. However, often with opportunity still comes opposition. Um, But a door could be a distraction. Um, It could be a good thing and a good thing behind the door, but it could be taking us away from the best thing. And that same idea, a door could be a trap from the enemy. Some doors look appetizing, they look enticing, and then as we walk through them, we've realized that this was a trap and it's something behind it that may try to destroy us. So in helping us with that, an open door will never contradict the Word of God. If we use the Word of God as our moral compass, and if you're about to walk through a door that is... that is at odds with God's word, don't walk through it because God would never contradict his word. And lastly, sometimes God shuts a door to protect us. God may be closing a door in your life to actually help you, to protect you, because he has something better for you. He has a better plan. But yet, we still have to walk through doors. And we still ask this question behind each and every door we walk through is what, who is on the other side of this door? Will God be there when I make this decision? And I mentioned earlier um, uh, the door of distraction and taking us away from the best thing. And that's what we're actually going to be spending some time this morning looking at. It's a door of distraction. People are busy, right? Life is busy. When someone asks you, how are you doing? We used to say, good, fine, and not even think about it. But the response I hear now more often than not is, how are you? And we respond with, I'm busy. I was like, oh, good, good, but busy. We should get together. I know, I've just been so busy. That's often my response. Uh, when someone asks me, I've, this week, no, I'm preparing for this. I've been, when someone asks me how I'm doing, I've been trying really hard to not say busy. I'm good. So if you've asked me this week and I've stumbled, it's because I'm challenging myself to try to find another response uh, to, to describe my life more than just busy. I like being busy, though. I like doing things. I like being involved. Um, I like to walk into a room and see what needs to be done here and how can I help. That's just how I'm wired. My day off, I don't typically stay home. No. I at least got to go to Walmart, right? Run errands, do things that need to be done. I love Walmart. I love it. 
Just everything's there. It's such a distraction. Speaking of distractions, but this is certainly something that I think we all face in our culture and our context today. Just, it's interesting that just a century ago in America, and I would venture to say the same for Canada as well, um, if you wanted to look at a signal of someone's status, if they were, you know, had a high and um, respectable status, it was marked by how much time they had, how much leisure they had. Fast forward to now, in 2019, and often our status is marked by how busy we are. If you're really busy, and if you are in demand, and if you work long hours, you must have a high status. Look at them. People want them. They are in demand. They've made it. Busyness is glorified, rewarded, and it's even expected. And while this is, I think, definitely something that we face in our day and age in 2019, it's not a new thing. I think it's amplified now in our culture and how we live. But busyness is not a new thing. We see a great example of this in the book of Luke. We're reading today from the book of Luke. And it says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. And really, if we look at this passage, the first thing that we can learn from this is this passage is actually about discipleship. <clears throat> this passage isn't about women. What do you mean, Megan? Clearly, it's about women. There's Jesus and Mary and Martha. This passage is obviously about women. They're the only other people mentioned. But it's not about women and what they should do or what they shouldn't do. This isn't about household duties or responsibilities. This isn't about who should do what. This is so much deeper than that. And men, not that you would have, but don't tune me out. Don't skip over this passage because it looks like on the surface two sisters squabbling over who should do the dishes and asking Jesus to fix it. This passage would be equally valid if a man or a child were mentioned in it. This is so much deeper than that. This is about discipleship. This is about sitting at the feet of Jesus, receiving all that he has to offer, this passage is about the most important thing. However, we can't, nor do we want to, skip over the significance that this passage does indeed place on women. These women, Mary and Martha, had opened up the door to their home to Jesus. They've opened up the door of their hearts to Jesus. Martha had invited Jesus in to prepare a meal for him, to serve him. Mary is sitting at his feet these women had a place in the life of Jesus, and Jesus had a place in the life of these women. This place where Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, this place was actually um, reserved for a space where disciples would sit at the foot of a rabbi. And in this context, in this time when the scripture was written and recorded, um, this was countercultural because women, if never, or rarely would sit at the feet of a rabbi. But here we see Mary 
sitting at the feet of Jesus. This is not the first time she has sat at the feet of Jesus. We see in this scripture she has, we see um, later in the book of John in chapter 11, when her brother dies, Lazarus, and she falls at his feet and she pours out her heart and her grief to him. And we see later on in that book when she anoints his feet and sits at his feet and worships him. Mary was a disciple of Jesus. Women had a place in the life of Jesus. And this would have flipped it upside down for the people hearing this message. And that's what I love about Jesus. But this story isn't just about two sisters either. Jesus is making a point of all disciples. We see that all people, everyone, every person is invited into a relationship with Jesus. He doesn't count anyone out. And just like we see from the, the, the story that's mentioned just before this one about the Good Samaritan, and we heard um, a message on that just a few weeks ago, where we learn who our neighbor is, everyone. And here, Jesus looks at another side of that, and we get to see who can be a disciple, and anyone. This story gives us a beautiful example of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a follower, how to sit and rest in his presence, how to hear his voice in the midst of the clamor and the noise in our lives, to press pause on the duties, the distractions, and the important things so that we can indeed focus on the most important thing. So we can sit at the feet of Jesus, look in his eyes, and receive all that he has to pour out. I think we see a point here that anyone can be a disciple of Jesus. There is a place in the kingdom and the family of God for everyone. And Jesus gives us value. So we see that this is about discipleship. But this is also very clearly, very strongly about distractions. And I'll read again. A woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She was distracted. And there's a, excuse me, there's a Greek verb here, and I'm no expert, uh, but I did do some research, but I was never good necessarily at uh, pronouncing words. Uh, but the Greek verb here for distracted is paraspado, and this implies that her attention was drawn away by the burden of her duties. She was actually more concerned that she had to work alone rather than the fact that she couldn't sit at the feet of Jesus. And that sentence jumped out at me, and I could not get away from this as I, as I was preparing this week. Her attention was drawn away by the burden of her duties. She wasn't bothered that she wasn't, that she wasn't at the feet of Jesus. She didn't, that's not what had upset her. What upset her is she was working alone. She was drawn away. Her attention, she was drawn away. She was distracted. Martha was isolated from communion with Christ because of her busyness. Isolated from rest because of her work. She was isolated from deeper relationship because of her duties. And this is what busyness does. It isolates us from rest, from relationship, and from communion. Duties, distractions, busyness that in this case Martha had placed on herself. She had invited Jesus into her home for a meal. No doubt she desired to spend time with him as well. And she certainly wanted to serve him, to do something for her Lord. Yet, her attention was drawn away by the burden of her duties. Have your duties ever felt burdensome? Have you found your attention taken away from the most important thing because of all of the other things that must be done? 
And in a spiritual sense, uh, maybe you'd say, but shouldn't we be burdened? Shouldn't our hearts be heavy um, for those needs around us, for the injustice in the world, for those who have yet to accept Jesus as their Savior? Shouldn't we be burdened by, by those in my family who are sick and who are hurting? Shouldn't we be burdened by the darkness and the pain and the needs all around us? And I would say, yes, absolutely. But that burden is what should drive us straight into the arms of Jesus. Those burdens should overwhelm our hearts so much that the first thing that we do, our first priority, is to sit at the feet of Jesus and lay these burdens at his feet. To come to Jesus first with the things that lay heavy on our hearts, on our minds, in our souls. Jesus says, as recorded in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think someone needs to hear this this morning. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Rest for your soul. Do you need that rest? Do you feel at peace? Or is your soul and your heart and your mind full of chaos, full of anxiety, full of stress, full of busyness, full of so much that you can no longer keep straight what it is that you need to do? Your to-do list never seems to get any longer. It just keeps going and going and going, no matter what you do. Because life is busy. I get it. I get it. Maybe you're a parent here today. I'm a parent. I have two wonderful, amazing children who certainly um, add busyness to our lives, but they add so much more than that. They're amazing. But there's always something else to do. There's a diaper to change. There's a child uh, there's a, that needs something. There's a meal to prepare. We need to get groceries. We need to make sure that our child is at the activities, dance and gymnastics and drum and violin and music and swimming and hockey and soccer and fill in the blank, whatever your life entails. And then there's homework. Whoa. Sorry to all the teachers here. I respect you so much, but there's homework. Then there's still a child that needs to be potty trained or comforted or corrected, even more fun. And yes, to instill faith in. So that at the proper age, he or she will most naturally come into a relationship with Jesus. If you guys pay attention in our baby dedications, this is exactly what we say. Because of all the duties and responsibilities that I have to care for, the physical, the emotional, the mental needs of my children, the one that lays heaviest on my heart is the spiritual development. The responsibility that I have as a parent, that they, these children have been entrusted into my care to mold, to love, to parent, to guide them to shape them so that they can come to know Jesus as their own Lord and Savior. And I know it's their choice. And they will get to a point in their lives where they'll make that decision, and they have free will. And I could parent, and I could follow everything by the book, and they could still make wrong choices and walk through wrong doors. I realize that. But yet, for now, while they're my home, they are my responsibility to instill faith in. And I think life is so busy, it's so busy for us that often we're too busy to be intentional 
as intentional as we want to in this area. We're either too busy with the day-to-day -day activities of life to intentionally disciple and grow and deepen our own faith, maybe in our children, maybe in our family life as much as we'd like to, or we're so busy doing the work, the volunteering, the serving, the giving, the going, that we don't model how to sit at the feet of Jesus. Maybe I'm just preaching to myself here this morning. Maybe I'm just being a little bit too transparent, but I don't think I'm alone. I think many of us find ourselves swinging on this pendulum of being so busy, ensuring that everything and everyone in our homes and ourselves are taken care of, are well-rounded, that we can take our faith and our spiritual development for granted. Or on the other side of that, we are so busy in service to others, to the church, doing the work, that we've also taken for granted the importance of sitting at the feet of Jesus. And hear me when I say this in love, that I'm learning this truth for my own life, for my own family, and it is hard because life is busy. But you don't need to be a parent um, to relate to this struggle because students, adults, every person in this room is balancing life. And this society and this culture that we live in glorifies busyness. Do more, be more, achieve more. Don't just set goals, crush them. Don't just dream, dream big. Be the best, do the best, right? Hustle, hustle, hustle. There's this thought out there, if we just do more, if we just keep busy, if we just keep striving, then we will be satisfied. We will be fulfilled. And if you're left feeling empty and worthless and unfulfilled, well, it's because you haven't done enough, right? We can't stop. We won't stop. We can't just have a job. We have to be the best at our job. We can't just get a degree. We want the highest GPA and all the extracurricular to go along with it. Even on vacation or in retirement, we can't just sit around. We have to go, go, go. We have glorified this so often, not just in society, not just in culture, but also in the church. Yes, I just said that. The children's pastor, if you do see me up here, I'm probably asking for volunteers. I'm asking for you to say yes to Jesus and the children for the kingdom. It's what I do. The irony here, believe me, it's not lost on me at all that I'm sharing this message with you this morning. And I could shy away from this, and I'll be totally honest with you because I've been so far, so why stop now? Is that I tried to go a different direction this week. I tried to go. I didn't want to talk about this. I didn't want to go in this direction, but I couldn't get away from it. I, don't, I never even really liked this parable or this Bible story before. Try that out. Like, turn to your neighbor and tell them your least favorite Bible story. Kidding. I'm kidding. Tell them later. It'll be fun icebreaker. Come to team night. No, I'm just kidding. But maybe. We'll see. But I could not get away from this. And do you know why I don't like, I didn't like this, but the Lord is teaching me? It's because you could take Martha out and put Megan in. I am such a Martha. This is so me. I see so much of myself in this story. I love to work. I like to serve. I like to be busy. I like to do things. I enjoy that. I genuinely enjoy these things. I know I'm not alone. But how often have I been like Martha, thinking I was doing a good thing, serving Jesus, doing the work of the Lord, and then grumbling at God? Because, what? That Greek verb again, my attention is drawn away by the burden of my duties. Now, please do not hear what I am not saying. 
I'm not blaming my job or the church or my responsibilities here at all. I find genuine purpose and joy, and I'm beyond grateful and honored to serve here. But what I'm saying is I understand. I get it. I understand how Martha felt here. And I think sometimes when we do skip over this story, we read through it really quick, it's because it makes some of us uncomfortable because it requires stopping. It requires turning down the noise. It requires being still. It requires resting, not striving, not earning, and not working. What it requires, it requires us to fully receive what Jesus has provided for us on the cross, accepting and receiving this unmerited favor of God in our lives. You know, we're often fed a message in life that you work hard for what you get. To be useful on a sports team, in the workplace, even maybe in a relationship, it's all about what you bring to the table. You can, how can you add value to this situation? But see, our relationship with Jesus is not about adding value. It is about receiving. We cannot add anything to the work that Jesus did on the cross. All we can do is receive it. Just like we celebrated this morning here with communion. Receiving this forgiveness, this mercy and grace. Receiving adoption into the family of God. You actually can't work hard enough to earn a seat at the table. Because you have a place at the family table of God. Because Jesus calls you his own. Not because you worked hard enough to earn it. Because God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You cannot make that happen on your own. You cannot do enough good things. You cannot be a good enough person. There is not a list of requirements that you can check off a list. You cannot save yourself. I cannot save myself. And you see, the kingdom of God is upside down because the people who have heard this story the first time and in their context, they were under an old covenant in Jewish law. There were hundreds of laws to abide by, hundreds of, so many commands to follow, so many sacrifices to be made. And then Jesus comes along. And he walks this path to Calvary. He walks to the cross and he is crucified in a public and a shameful death. And he cried out, it is finished. And in that act of propitiation, in that act of justification, in that act of sacrifice, he gave and I received pardon, peace, and a place in the family of God. And I can sit at the feet of Jesus and know that I don't have to be good enough, busy enough, smart enough, that you don't have to be good enough, you don't have to be busy enough, because Jesus is more than enough. And in him, I am enough, and he calls me his own. He calls you his own. Oh, the freedom that can be had in this. There is rest for your weary soul. There is rest for your weary soul. And even though we see that this is about discipleship and this is about distractions. This is also about going deeper and going deeper in our relationship with Jesus. And I read this week 
that few things are as damaging to the Christian life as trying to work for Christ without taking time to commune with him. Wow. Few things are as damaging to the Christian life as trying to work for Christ without taking time to commune with Christ. And I get it, the struggle here is real. Often because of our thankfulness and our passion and our zeal for Jesus and for making disciples, we get caught up in this, right? You can, you can get off track a little bit. We can start off having our priorities right. We can start off with Jesus as number one, and we do this out of our relationship with him. But then we get distracted, and our priorities begin to shift a little bit, and it's this often slow, gradual shift. Because if you've ever used a compass and... I was in Junior Rangers, so I used the compass a long time ago. I wouldn't trust it now, the GPS. I'm so thankful for Google Maps. But if you have a compass and you have your compass set at a certain direction, and, if you're f- and, y- and you want to get to a destination, if you're a few degrees off, well, for 10 feet, it's not going to matter. But you keep going 100 feet, 100 kilometers, it's going to matter. You will be way off course from where you started. You heard us talk here about our, our discipleship path and our next steps and our, and our growth track. And we desire here to put a focus on your relationship with Jesus. Following Christ, growing in our faith, being in small groups, attending and participating in church. As pastors, we don't just look down and just see all these potential volunteers who could fill planning center. And if you've ever felt that from me, I'm sorry, because I know as a children's pastor, I do ask for a lot of volunteers. But that is not what we see when we look at our church. That is not our desire for our church is to be a church that just works and works and works. No, we desire to be a part of a church and to see our church commune with Christ, to sit at the feet of Jesus, to grow, to follow Jesus, to deepen your faith. And now, before everybody quits on me, please don't. When we talk about sitting at the feet of Jesus, we obviously know that that is not all that we ever do, right? We're just not going to, this is not about sitting and singing kumbaya. This is not what this is. This is so much deeper than that. Right before this parable, as I've already referenced this morning, is the story of the Good Samaritan and where we see the greatest commandments lived out to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. We know that as a part of the Christian life, it is serving, and it is loving others. It is about doing things at times. But this is not about our activity. This is about our attitude. When we first commune with Jesus, when we first sit at his feet and spend some time with him, then our motives become aligned. Our heart is now in the right place, and our attention, or sorry, and our actions become a response to our relationship with Jesus, and is not about our own merit and what we bring to the table. I would venture to say that distraction is the silent soul killer. We can spend so much of our time doing good things, pouring out, giving, serving, loving, producing, working, all good things, but somehow we end up empty exhausted, depleted. And this is often a slow, gradual, unsuspecting process. But it happens. Because if all I have to offer the hurting world is myself, I'm coming up short. If all I have to offer my family, my friends, my church is just myself, I'm coming up short. Because there's not enough love or wisdom or peace or patience or mercy or grace in and of just me to offer. But in spending time at the feet of Jesus, 
when I spend time, when you spend time, he speaks into our hearts. He fills up our soul and he satisfies us so that when we do go out, when we do the activity, when we do the work, when we do the serving, when we love our neighbors, is now an outflow of our relationship with Jesus. It is a response to what he is doing in our lives. It is not about the works. It is not about the busyness. It is not about me. It's about him. Because when I spend time and when you spend time at the feet of Jesus, we commune with our, our, our Savior. We are filled up with more of who he is. And that is what we then offer the world, is Jesus. So I cannot boast in myself, but only in Christ. And this is not about guilting anyone this morning about our busy schedules, but I'm sure we can all relate to being distracted. It's easy to point at the bad distractions and the bad choices. We can all look at our lives, most of us, I'm sure, and realize we've walked through some, some wrong doors. We've made some bad choices. That's a little bit easier to do, um, to look at the bad things, the bad distractions. Often what we're distracted by are the good things. We need to work to provide, right? We need to study to the best of our ability. We need to steward our time, our money, well, we need to spend time at our studies. We want our children to learn and to be well-rounded, and we need to take care of ourselves. We want to volunteer in our community, and our church, and our schools. We want to say, yes, Netflix, I am still watching. We want to relax, right? Yet, when we become distracted, when we haven't sat at the feet of Jesus, and we begin to neglect that part of our lives, we will often walk through the wrong doors. We begin to go off course just a little bit. And everything may look fantastic on the outside, like you have it all together, but your soul is dry, is empty, is barren. Nothing else can fill that void in your heart, in your soul. Working more won't. Studying more won't. That relationship won't. The gym won't. That food won't. That habit, it won't. That hobby, it won't. Because I'm not talking about self-care here. I'm talking about soul care. And don't get me wrong, self-care is important and we need to care for ourselves and being healthy is important. Rest is important. But what happens is when we finally do rest, we're so exhausted that we've become numb and we're not refueling our souls anymore. We're just surviving. We need to commune with Christ and allow him to enter and heal our hearts. It's so much deeper than just relaxing. It's so much deeper than just taking a day off. It's deep soul care. It's communion with Christ. Martha, Martha. Jesus isn't scolding Martha here. He hasn't guilted her. He hasn't shamed her. He hasn't waved his finger at her. He's speaking tenderly towards her while he instructs her. The words here actually show a caring emotion. What he questions is her attitude, not her activity. Because Jesus always goes deeper. He goes for our hearts. Martha wanted Jesus to put her sister in her place, right? Have we ever been there? Do you got, anyone have siblings here that you wish that the Lord would just speak to them and put them in their place and tell them you're right? I'm a middle child, so 
my life, right? But this is not what Jesus does. He soothes Martha. He speaks tenderly towards her. He shows her the best way, the best thing, the right thing. This will remain and it will not be taken away. Peace, security, salvation, mercy, grace, relationship, communion. This beautiful, this blessed communion with Christ. In Psalm 46, we read, and this may be familiar for many of us, and maybe it's the first time you've heard it. It says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And it's hard to receive and it's hard to fill up if we don't stop. I'll ask the worship team to come back this morning. Have you ever tried to pour someone a drink or a cup of coffee and they're running away from you? You wouldn't do that. It does not make sense. You're not going to chase someone with a hot pot of coffee and try to fill their cup up. They're going to stop. They're going to sit down. And you're going to pour up their cup. Because you cannot fill an empty cup when it's moving. We cannot fill up if we don't stop. That aching in your heart, that longing in your soul, that dry and barren place inside of you, it cannot be soothed, it cannot be healed, it cannot be restored if we do not stop and sit and receive. We've talked a lot about doors these past few weeks, and we'll continue in this series for a little bit longer. And we've talked about the door of courage, and we've talked about the door of risk, And today we're talking about that door of distraction. And we can get caught up in life, in the good things, and we can miss the best things. But once we find the best thing, it will not be taken away from you. And I believe it takes courage, and I believe it takes risk to no longer be distracted and to rest. Because this goes against our very human nature. We're wired to to strive, we're wired to survive, we're wired to rise to the top. But Jesus says, sit. Sit first. Hear my voice. Be in my presence. And allow my voice to heal the broken parts of your heart. Allow my peace to fill that emptiness that never seems to be filled by anything else. Because the way out of distraction is to enter the door of rest to open up space in your life, to push aside the to-do list, even those good things to receive the best thing. Because once we view our lives, once we view our duties and our responsibilities, our jobs, our families, our service, once we view these things in relationship with Christ and who he is, we can then have peace and rest. Because we know that although we are called to go and make disciples, although we are called to love our neighbor, although we are called to serve the world, to raise our families, to get our degrees, to do our jobs, these are not bad things. But after, once we first commune with Christ, then we do these things from an overflow of love and peace and understanding of what God has done for us and who we are in him. And not to earn our salvation, by what we do. We can't keep our salvation by what we do. We have peace with God because of what he has done for us. 
And it's been said that the most important part of a Christian life is the only part God sees. Sorry, the most important part of Christian life is the part only God sees. And I think this is so profound. This is so challenging. And I challenge myself right along with you this morning to be more intentional in that part of your life, in that part of your faith, to still your heart, to still your soul, to push away distraction, and to find rest. I have no idea where your heart is this morning. This is not about guilt or condemnation. I will not judge your heart. I have my own to be responsible for. Just let me remind you again that Jesus didn't scold Martha when she got distracted, when she grumbled, when she had a bad attitude. He extended tenderness. He didn't say, you should know better, Martha. How dare you ignore me while I'm sitting in your home? He spoke to her with gentleness and instruction. Mary, Martha, there are many important things to do. In fact, the list will never end. But there is one thing that is the most important and that will not be taken away. I am here. And my friends, he is here this morning. And we're going to take some time to spend in the presence of God. Let's sit at his feet and let's allow Jesus to speak into those barren, achy, weary parts of your soul. Allow him to call you his child, forgiven, loved, safe, worthy, enough. This week as I was putting my three-year-old daughter uh, to bed, I like to chat about their day and I like to ask them how everything went. And, you know, I talked to my three-year-old. She really could say anything. Her imagination is wild and beautiful. But when I asked her, Anna Mae, how was your day today? Her voice got sad and her eyes got downcast and she looked at me and she said, my heart was too full. I said, too full, baby? Why was your heart too full? She said, it was full of all of the brave and all of the shy and all of the prayers. It's not just the adults that feel too full. It's not just us. I think it's something we can all relate to. And I did not scold her when she told me this, when she shared with me. I didn't say, anime, come on, you're three. Can't be that bad. I didn't say that to her. Because she is three, and I don't remember really what it's like to be a three-year-old. I didn't scold her. I, I, didn't, I didn't belittle her. I didn't make her feel guilty for sharing her heart with me. No, because I'm her mama and I'm her parent. So what I did was I wrapped my arms around her and I pulled her in close and I prayed that God would comfort her heart. And I believe and I think and I, 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 that God wants to do this in some hearts here this morning that he wants to pull you close, that he wants to comfort you, that he wants to fill your heart that feels too full, your mind that feels too full, your soul that feels too full. He wants to fill that with his peace and his love and his mercy this morning. He wants to pull you close, call you his child, remind you of who you are in Christ. You are forgiven. You are loved. You are his child this morning. But we cannot hear the voice of God if we don't stop. We'll hear all the other messages that are out there. We'll hear what culture tells us we are. We'll hear what society tells us we are. We'll hear what Instagram tells us what we are or that we're not. That is not the voice that we need to listen to. We need to listen to the voice of our Savior. 
who whispers tenderly to your heart and soothes you. And that achy, barren part of you, he can fill that this morning. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never made this decision. You've never made, um, you've never walked through that door, um, as we'll say, and decided, yes, today I will follow Christ. Maybe you haven't done that before. Maybe you haven't said yes to entering into a relationship with Jesus and accepting that forgiveness and mercy that he has offered on the cross. And I invite you to do so today. That Jesus is always there. And he has taken that sin, that shame, that pain. He has defeated it. And he is victorious over it so that we can have victory in him. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe your priorities have shifted away. You'd say, yes, I'm a believer. And yes, I'm on the path of discipleship and I'm growing my faith. But I've got, I have to admit, I'm distracted. There's just so many things to do. So many good things to do. So many things, someone has to do them. And I understand that. But first, allow God to remind you of who you are, that you are his, that you are loved, that you are forgiven. As Pastor Justin leads us this morning, and I invite you guys to stand. And we just want to spend some time in the presence of God, seeking him, allowing him to speak into your heart. And maybe you'd rather sit this morning. Maybe you would rather kneel. Maybe you would like to come forward. I'll leave that decision up to you because I can't give you a, uh, a formula for how this works. And I can't give you um, a three-step plan of how to find rest for your achy soul. All I can do is point you to Jesus because he has what you need. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about our church community, please visit our website, Bethesda.ca, and consider joining us for a gathering soon. Thank you.